0: The following is an Will presentation. Do you have a secret?
1: Yeah. Um, one time I was home alone, and I was really hungry. And I knew where my parents kept their money, so I went in and I took $20 for Chick-fil-A. But I replaced it later on.
2: That's great that you
0: replaced it. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Yeah.
1: I'm Ben Ham.
0: And I'm Dalia Beda.
1: We're your hosts as we navigate the deep waters of humanity.
0: And listen to the stories no one ever tells.
1: You are entering The Secret Room.
0: Everyone has those pivotal moments in life, the ones that change us dramatically, however small or insignificant they seem at the time. Moments that we may not realize until years later were turning points. My guest today, Nikki, had one of those moments a few years ago, and she can't tell her family about it at all.
2: Well, I got a DUI, and it was my wake-up call to help me get sober after a decade of drinking heavily. How did
0: alcohol become a part of your life?
2: You know, I grew up in a family where alcohol was an everyday occurrence. Both my parents drank every day. So I grew up in an environment where alcohol was normal and it was accepted and it was, you know, just something you do to relax after work.
0: Would you say that your your family, are they alcoholic? Would you consider them like dangerous to themselves or, or is it just more they have a drink at dinner?
2: I would say they're alcoholics. If only because I can't remember any time in the last probably 15 years that I haven't seen my dad without a drink in his hand. Um, Which to me says that he, you know, has that emotional connection to that alcohol. He's always got to have something, you know, whether it be a bottle or, you know, a bottle of beer or a glass of wine or a mixed drink, something in his hand. He's always got to have that. So I would say he definitely has... um, a connection to that he definitely has an addiction
0: and how did you start drinking what was your first experience with alcohol
2: well when I was in high school um, I you know of course your first love and everything I had I had a pretty serious boyfriend uh, for being 16 years old and um, he and I broke up and when we did all of our friends remained his friends so I was all of a sudden left I was 16 I was depressed and I had no friends. So I began making new friends and some of these new friends were people who were experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And so I started going to parties and I started, you know, just kind of experimenting. I, you know, I smoked a little pot, drank some beer, whatever it was, and alcohol was really what did it for me. I remember my first beer, I was actually at a camp out um, at a bonfire and I hated the taste of it. But I liked the way it made me feel, so I just forced myself to keep drinking it. And, you know, in the end, I ended up liking it a little too much, I guess.
0: When do you feel like you started drinking really heavily?
2: I think I was probably 20, 21 when the daily drinking happened.
0: Nikki says there's not one specific event in her life that led her to drink so much. At that time in her life, depression and social anxiety were beginning to become more serious than ever before.
2: I didn't know what it was, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, I didn't even really know the word depression at the time, I was fairly sheltered. I just knew that I felt like shit, and the alcohol made me feel better. And so the more crappy I felt, the more alcohol I drank, and it just became a vicious cycle.
0: You started around age 20, and how long did you drink before you got your DUI?
2: I was 26, very close to turning 27 when I got my DUI. So it was six years of pretty much daily drinking. I would say almost every night I would drink until I passed out. Because here's the thing, when I started drinking, it was like a a switch that flipped, and I didn't know how to stop. I could not stop. And that was part of my addiction is I couldn't just have one beer. I had to have as many as I could put in my body until I passed out, you know, and, and really the last year that I was drinking so heavily, um, I was blacking out a lot. It was three, four nights a week that I was blacking out. So I just didn't even remember what I had done the night before half the time.
0: During these years, when you were drinking this much, what were your friends doing? Were they worried about you? Were were they enabling you? Were you like the party girl? What were they doing about anything?
2: I was definitely the party girl. I surrounded myself with people who also drank as much as I did. I was the girl that, hey, we want to go to the bar tonight. We want to have a good time. We better call Nikki. I mean, I was at the bar three or four nights a week. The thing is, like, I don't think people realize that After I left the bar, I was going home and continuing to drink. And the nights that I wasn't at the bar, I was at home drinking. So I think that that's where people didn't really realize exactly how bad it it was.
0: Nikki was 26, almost 27. At this point, she'd been drinking for the better part of a decade. And one day, everything changed.
2: It was a Sunday evening. It was Sunday fun day. I had, it was summertime. I had spent um, the whole day at the pool (laughs) and I was just drinking beer all day long. And I vaguely remember driving at one point and it was dark. And I remember I couldn't figure out where I was and my phone was dead. So I didn't have GPS. Um, And the next thing I knew I was waking up in a jail cell. And I was terrified because I was in an orange jumpsuit. I was freezing cold. And there was a lady in the bunk above me that looked like she had killed somebody. <laughs> I mean, she was just scary looking. I didn't know why I was there, but I knew I had a really bad hangover and I I knew it had to do with alcohol, but I could not figure out why it was there. It was like 6 in the morning and the guards woke us all up and brought us out in front of the judge who came actually to the jail to give us all our, you know, tell us this is what you're arrested for and this is your bail. When he came to me, he said, arrested for DWI, your bail is $3,000 because you blew over 0.15, I think is what it was. It actually, I found out much later, it was a 0.185, which is twice the legal limit. But yeah, I mean, I was just terrified. You know, my heart dropped. I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't even remember if I called my fiance or not. So I ended up getting a phone and calling him again. And he was saying, yeah, I'm already trying to post bail, you know, and I just felt like such a fool and I was ashamed. You know, I just wanted to crawl in a hole and, and die. I mean, I was so scared and I was so, you know, disappointed in myself, I think is the biggest thing. And the fear, because I didn't even remember what I had done. That was the worst part.
0: Your fiancé at the time, now husband, right? Yes. He bailed you out of jail. Then what happened?
2: Well, he took me to Waffle House for breakfast.
0: (laughs) Which is where everyone should go when they get bailed out of jail.
2: Right. First of all, I mean, I was so hungover. Food and coffee just were so great. They just sounded so good. Oh, and... By the way, um I was arrested a little past ten thirty. It was like just before eleven o'clock at night, and I didn't get out of jail until after one o'clock in the afternoon the next day. So it was what was that like fourteen hours in jail, which isn't that long compared to a ton of other people, but, when you're not really sure why you're there that's a really long time
0: (laughs) I could see that yeah not knowing Um, what's going on and being in pain and scared yeah yes yes so
2: anyway so he took me to Waffle House and we got some waffles and some eggs and he just kind of was like what happened you know and and I said I don't know and and he was like you know you've been drinking so much and and I said, yeah, I know, and it's time to change, and we just had that discussion, and I told him, you know, I, I, I'm I, ready to change. This is what I needed. It was that rock bottom that I had to hit before it really slapped me back into reality. I think that I was denying to myself that there was anything wrong for so long, and it really was what helped me to see reality.
0: How long did it take you after... You made that decision in Waffle House.
2: (laughs) At first, I had no idea what I was doing. So I was trying to get sober, just quitting cold turkey, and it didn't work. And, you know, I think I spent about six months where I would be sober for two weeks And then I would say, oh, yeah, I've been sober for two weeks. That's longer than I've been in almost 10 years. I'm going to go out and celebrate. And then I'd go to the bar and get drunk again, you know. (laughs) And so it was just this, you know, back and forth of just practicing. And, and, you know, like when you're learning to ride a bike, you fall off a lot. And that's what I was doing. So it was about six months. And in the meantime, I was going through meetings with the lawyer and court and everything. And, And finally, I was put on probation. And, um, once I was put on probation, I was given an interlock on my car, which it's the breathalyzer and you blow into it. And as long as you pass, then you can start your car. So once that was installed in my car, it gave me even more incentive not to drink or more motivation not to drink. Um, and then I had to do some drug and alcohol classes. And really once I started doing counseling and the, the classes, I started gaining more tools on how to be sober and how to stay sober, and so I started having a lot more success. Altogether, I would say it was about six or seven months after the DUI is when I finally stopped drinking
0: for good. Did you participate in any sort of recovery program?
2: Yeah. Um, I got started in a program. I tried AA and 12 step just wasn't for me. It wasn't helping me stay sober at all. I found another program. Um, and it helped tremendously. It gave me tools to learn how to change, not just my drinking behavior, but my thoughts about how I react to the urges and the cravings that I was having. It really made sense to me. So I became very involved in the recovery program, and it it really helped me to stay sober longer than even I could have ever thought. Um, And then eventually, I actually became a facilitator, and I started my own meeting. So I've been sober over a year and a half now. And for the last probably about a year, um, I've been running my own meeting and, and trying to help other people get sober now.
0: Do you find that your story does have an effect and does help other people? Definitely.
2: There's a lot of people that come to my meeting who aren't sure yet that they want to quit. And when I tell them my story about waking up in jail and not remembering how I got there, um, it really helps them to kind of open their eyes and think to themselves, you know, that could be me one day. I think that it helps them see the reality of the situation that they've put themselves in.
0: Your DUI... You said it's a secret, but sounds like your story helps a lot of people. So how are you keeping this a secret?
2: Well, first of all, my family has no idea that I got a DUI. In fact, the last time I went home to visit my family, even though I had said, I'm trying to quit drinking, whatever, my dad had tried to offer me a glass of wine with dinner. And I said, no, dad, I'm really not drinking. And he was like, what? You can't be a part of this family if you don't drink. And he said it in a very joking way, but I could tell that he wasn't joking. You know, he was very taken aback, like, this is what our family does. How could you, you're not going to fit in if you don't drink. And he didn't understand it. And just as a little backstory, I'm not super close with my family, simply because, you know, I grew up in, in where if I kind of shared my emotions, a lot of times I was told I was wrong or you know, that's not something that you should feel or, you know, they just plain didn't listen to what I was saying anyway. So I never really, um, had the kind of relationship where I could share things with my family, especially something that was going to make them feel ashamed or disappoint them. The DUI just is really something that, I mean, it's a secret I'll take to my grave. My family will never know. Uh, I don't want to deal with the disappointment I know that they're going to just treat me like I'm seven years old again, and I don't even want to put myself through it, so I avoid the situation altogether. Of course, everybody in my recovery group knows my story, but, you know, it's almost like that's a separate part of my life. A lot of people that I know personally or through work, um, they know that I'm sober, but they don't know about the DUI. That's the secret part. They don't know about my...
0: Ending up in jail.
2: Yeah, my ending up in jail, my criminal past, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And so they know I'm sober, but they don't know the reason why. And I feel like that's good enough. I just don't drink. And and that's all they need to know. Right. How many people do know
0: that you have DI?
2: Well, obviously my husband. <laughs> um, and I would say about a handful of my closest friends know. And most everybody else just knows that I got sober because that's what was best for me.
0: If you had a message or something that you wanted to tell listeners or anybody out there who might hear your story through this podcast, what would you want to say to them?
2: I would want to say that um, I know how daunting it can be if you decide to get sober. It is, quite honestly, the hardest thing that I have ever done in my entire life. But it can be done. And I've seen lots and lots and lots of people beat the odds and get sober. And if you need help, there's help out there. And I'm telling you right now, the grass is greener on the other side. Life is so much better being sober. You can't even imagine. (laughs) It's like night and day.
0: At one point or another, life is going to throw you a curveball. It may not land you in jail with no memory of how you got there, but it will happen. It's how we react, how we bounce back, and how we move forward that determines who we are as humans. What do you think of that secret, Ben?
1: Yeah, well, Nikki had a scary experience for sure, and it's helped shape her entire life. It's hard that she can't tell her family, though.
0: Yeah, and she said being sober is like so much better, but I don't think I'll be able to give up my occasional gin and tonic.
1: <laughs> well, that's what worked for her. It doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone.
0: True. So I heard you went kayaking with your BFF this weekend.
1: Yeah, we took a kayak out on the, uh, on the Potomac this weekend. It was a little bit rainy, but it was so great. And it's, it's really terrific to have Greg in town. And of course, we shared a secret.
0: Ooh, what's a secret? Give a hint. Yeah,
1: yeah. So this secret has unfolded over the last 25 years, and it started with some events that took place at his wedding two and a half decades ago. And I talk about it a little bit in the very first episode of The Secret Room. Hmm. Yeah. So we investigate some events of that night, and getting to the bottom of the secret involves talking to all of his groomsmen and then ultimately to his wife. And I'm so excited to share this story. So tune back into The Secret Room in a few weeks and I'll have it all ready for you.
0: That was a really good hint. Yeah. So fun to have a BFF visit. Mine's in Switzerland, so I never get to see her.
1: Well, you should go see her in Switzerland and maybe you should get a secret while you're there.
0: Ooh, that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, do it. What's stopping you?
0: So Ben, remember last week when I asked everyone for their guilty TV pleasures?
1: Yeah, and I confessed mine. It was Pretty Little Liars, and I'm glad to be out of the closet on that one. I'm standing by it, and I'm proud.
0: Well, we're not going to mention that ever again, and uh, mm-hmm. we're not, <laughs> not going to rehash the past. But we did want to share some of our listeners' guilty TV pleasures. Roll Ben.
1: Okay. Guilty secret pleasure number one. A listener says, I watch old episodes of Brittany and Kevin Chaotic when my husband leaves the house. Mm. That's great. She must have them on I don't know DVD or tape somewhere. VHS. Yeah, maybe VHS. But that's uh, Britney Spears' short-lived reality series.
0: I know you watched that too, Ben.
1: I ne <laughs> Okay, I saw one ep- <laughs> I saw one episode. How many did you see?
0: <laughs> I have never seen that show. Okay.
1: Another listener wrote in and said she's very embarrassed about watching a program called Alone. She says it's a totally ridiculous Survivor show. And then she told me to watch it.
0: Okay, give me one more.
1: Okay. Another listener wrote in and said, I still watch The Challenge on MTV. And then she says, you know, the real world road rules challenge. She says she's 44 and she's completely embarrassed by watching this program and implores us to keep her name strictly anonymous, (laughs) which we will honor. (laughs) I don't blame her for wanting to be anonymous either.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. You can still send us your TV pleasures, by the way. I love seeing them.
1: Yeah. Can I read one more? Okay, okay. Okay, Rick wrote in, and he's completely embarrassed that he watches Real Wives. He says he doesn't matter which one. I think he watches all of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We should get the Real Housewives on the secret room.
1: We should. Maybe they're listening. Call us up, Real Housewives. (laughs) Any of you. (laughs) Testing one, two. Okay, are you ready? Okay.
0: I don't understand why you don't do the testing before we hit record because then we hit record and then we have to wait while you say testing one too.
1: yeah that's the way i do it that's how Hampod rolls oh my god yeah that's our show for this week
0: yep we need to thank our friend breakmaster cylinder for providing our theme music and the rest of the music in our show
1: we also want to thank our secret providers and that's all of you
0: Ben and I can't make this show without your secrets, so thanks for continuing to send them. And remember, if you don't want to be interviewed, you can send in a voicemail of your secret to our, what do you call it, Ben? Secret line. Our secret line, 929 265 TSRP.
1: Or you can message us on Twitter. Our handles are at TSR Podcast, at Dahlia Beta, and at Hempod.
0: That's with two M's. Oh, and guess Guess what, Ben? What? We're getting shirts. What? (laughs) Yep, check the website in the next few weeks for TSRP shirts and Pod On shirts. What was that? Pod On.
1: Shirts.